0: Let's find our Bibles and open them to Matthew 17, please. Matthew 17. Find that on page 1525 in your Book Rack Bible. And there's an outline in your bulletin. Maybe you want to pull that out to help you follow along this morning. Bob George, the author of the great classic Christianity book, tells the story of a newspaper reporter who made his way to the rural airport that was a few miles from a large forest fire in a mountainous community. He was running late, so when he arrived at the little airport, he double-checked his instructions and sure enough, there was a little Cessna 182 idling near the entrance of the airstrip. He jumped out of his car, grabbed his backpack, which included all of his camera equipment, and ran to the plane. Jumping in, he greeted the pilot and said, sorry I'm late, but let's go. So the pilot taxied to the runway and off they went. A couple minutes into the flight, the reporter asked how many minutes it would take for them to get to the place where he could take some pictures. Pictures, the pilot said. Pictures of what? He said, of the fire. I'm a reporter and I'm taking pictures for the fire. And the pilot looked at him and said, reporter, I thought you were my flight instructor. That's what we might call two people who are now in crisis. (laughs) What about you? Have you experienced crisis lately? Are you going through crisis? You know, sometimes crisis happens uh, in the area of relationships. Maybe a strain, a breakup. Maybe you're going through a divorce. Maybe you're estranged from one of your kids. Maybe you feel abandoned in some way, emotionally, physically. You might be a middle school student here and you feel like you're being bullied at school or in social media. Uh, Maybe as a parent, one of your kids have come out to say that they're confused sexually or that they're identifying themselves as a homosexual. These are hard relationship strains. These are things that put us into crisis, don't they? Sometimes crises deal with circumstances. We've lost our job or we hate our job or, or someone has broken into our house or into our car or, or stolen something of, our, of ourselves. Uh, maybe you've been in an auto accident and, and something along those lines. Maybe you've got a financial crisis going. Maybe you're out of money, too many bills, or maybe you've got something physically going on. You're ill with some kind of crazy disease or, or whatever, surgery, or you're looking at surgery coming up, there's crisis. In a crowd this size, we're all facing certain levels of crisis. What is your crisis today? What is the crisis that you're facing today? The text we're about to look at presents to us a man who is in crisis. And I want you to see this man. I want us to get to know him this morning. And I want us to identify with who he is and what's going on in his life and see if in the midst of our own crisis, we might be going through some of the same kinds of things. So let's look at the text. We're in Matthew 17, and we're beginning in verse 14. And follow along as I read. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed from that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, the son of man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him and on the third day he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. All right, so there's various levels of grief, various levels of crisis, various levels of panic going on in this passage, and I wonder if you saw them. And this is an amazing story, it's an amazing account from God's Word, and I want to show you this morning uh, three basic things out of this text. Now they're going to show up a little different in your outline, but the three things we're going to look at this morning, number one, we're going to look at the value of crisis. Say that with me, the value of crisis. Secondly, we're going to see, amazingly enough, the grace of our Lord Jesus. Say that with me the grace of our Lord Jesus. And then we're going to see, finally, the importance of faith. Say that with me the importance of faith. Those three things emerge in this text this morning the value of crisis, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the importance of faith. Now, how that shows up in sort of a sermonic form is this. When I read the first two verses, 14 through 16, I see here that it's a great day when our crisis leads us to Jesus. Now, here's a man that's in crisis. We we don't know his name, we don't know anything really about him except that he has a son and he's in crisis. But the most important thing to point out here is that he's coming to Jesus. He's in crisis and he comes to Jesus. Now remember in the context, Jesus has been up on the mountain with his three disciples. Remember we learned that last week, Pastor Danny's message, great message. Peter, James, and John with Jesus. They're on the mountaintop. It's good for us to be here. But then they come down off the mountaintop and the disciples that had not been with the Lord Jesus and the others... uh, Peter, James, and John, up on the mountain. They had not had all this experience. They had been down sort of ministering in the trenches. And, and what had been going on is that there was a man there in this nitty-gritty of ministry who dis, whose disabled and demonized child uh, forcing him into lunacy and suicidal tendencies had come to the disciples, and they, they couldn't do anything about it. Uh, let me just stop right here and just talk a little bit about uh, crisis for a moment. If you are in crisis, or if you've been in crisis, or you're going through crisis, there's two things that are happening in your life. Number one, there's a sense of, and you can write this down, there's a sense of desperation. There's a sense of desperation. Put yourself in this man's shoes. His, his son uh, that is probably dealing with epileptic seizures, coupled with demonization, we know this was more than just physical because Jesus casts out a demon, a spiritual force in this young man's life. A force that had produced insane suicidal tendencies in his life. I mean, you might be a parent here today and you have a child or an adult child that has some severe disability or perhaps there's some mental or psychological problem or severely impacted by sinful or, or demonic influences in that child's life. And any parent that is going through something of that nature is a parent, I'm, I'm telling you today, is a parent who's in some form of desperation. You're probably not sleeping well, you've, you've searched high and low for some kind of solution. Moment by moment, you find yourself in a state of desperation, near panic over the scenarios that this situation might be causing for your child. And any parent, every parent, by the way, will go through seasons of desperation for their children, will they not? Parents, are you here this morning? I mean, when, you're, when your children are little, uh, you know, you, you worry about, will they, will I f- Take care of them well. You know, new parents are just panicked all the time. You see these cars driving around. They got the little signs, baby on board, you know. That's saying, you know, stay away from my car. I don't want an accident. I've got my child in here. I mean, we are just, we're almost panic ridden at times because of the fact of the little child. Will I be able to take care of them? Will they, you know, grow up healthy and strong? We've just, we're sort of desperate as young parents. And some of you are young parents here and you know what that's like. And then as your kids get older, there's new problems that come along. Someone once told me, little children, little problems. Bigger children, bigger problems. And that's so true. We've got adult children. There's problems that happen in adult ages that, that keep you up at night. Are, are you listening to me this morning? And parents, we, we are oftentimes in this desperate situation. Will my child get into trouble? Will they be introduced to drugs? Will, will what's going to go on in their life? There's this desperation. And by the way, if you're a child, if you're in your family, if you're a middle schooler or a high schooler here this morning, You've got situations in your life, too. You're getting bombarded daily with messages from culture telling you you ought to be this way or that way, social media, advertisement, pop culture, music, entertainment. You are being flooded with messages that sometimes are so contrary to what you as a follower of Christ are dealing with, and you're confused, and you're mixed up, and there's a sense of desperation in your life, too. We're all, we're all at different levels of desperation, And if you're a parent of a middle schooler or a high schooler this morning, we ought to just stop right now and pray for you. And if you're a middle schooler or a high school student, we ought to stop right now and just pray for you. And in fact, let's do that right now. Let's do that right now. Lord God, we just think of right now parents who are struggling with some issue with their kids, Lord. And I don't know who's here, but there's somebody here that might be like this man, Lord, who just feels like they've just run out of options. They don't know where to go. And there's some, Lord, who are teenagers here this morning, Lord. They're they're dealing with issues that maybe their parents can't understand or they don't feel like they understand. Or they feel all alone. And because they don't have a life experience yet, Lord, they they feel sidelined and they feel like they have nowhere to go, Lord. Oh, Lord, meet them in their desperation right here, right now, Lord. Thank you for youth ministries. Thank you for extra support and work. Bless those guys and gals that serve our our students, Lord, we just lift all these people up to you right now. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. amen. Okay, so I just, you know, that's a little spontaneous, but we, we all need prayer. We all need prayer. So there's desperation that happens. But there's a, something else that happens in crisis, and that not only is desperation, but there's, there's also disappointment that happens too. Disappointment. Uh, your disappointment may come from a variety of sources, um, and, and think about it. Let's not forget what we, where we are in our text. The father who is desperate for getting help for his son is disappointed. He's disappointed with the disciples who were Jesus' represent- representatives. I mean, you remember earlier in the gospel record, Luke chapter 10, Jesus actually gave authority to his disciples as they went out to cast out demons, supernatural powers, to actually heal sick people. And so, actually, these guys were You know, they had the capacity to do something for this guy, but somehow it just wasn't working. This father is desperately bringing his son to the disciples for help, and the disciples can't seem to, you know, do anything to to make change in the situation. And so this this is bringing about disappointment in their life. Now, I meet people all the time uh, who say things like, you know, yeah, I had this problem. I, I went to the church to see if they could help me out, and you know what? They didn't or they couldn't, or they wouldn't. Or or I hear people say, well, I knew this Christian, and so I went to this Christian, and and I thought maybe they could help me out, but you know they couldn't, or didn't, or wouldn't, or whatnot. There, there's a lot of disappointment. There are people out there today who are, are choosing to not be here today, and maybe not, I'm not talking about this physical church, but not be in church today because some Christ follower, or some church, or some with the label of Christianity Just disappointed them. They felt like they went for help and they didn't get help. And that might be some of us too. We have this like subtle little sense of disappointment in our lives. We sort of sit a little bit skeptical this morning over, you know, what does the church want me to do and where should I, you know, there's some of us, big crowd, there's some of us that have levels of disappointment in our lives based upon some experience that we had. And all of this is about crisis. If you're in crisis, you're likely to be desperate or disappointed. But, but let's go back to where we are in this, this story. Let's not forget where all this is going. All of this, in this crisis is what led this man to Jesus. And this is I'm calling this a great moment in one's life, when the crisis actually brings you to Jesus. Now, this is what I call the value of crisis, when, when whatever it is that's going on in our lives brings us right into the presence of Jesus, and, and here's what I see happening. This man comes, he kneels down to Jesus, and he calls on him, and he says, Lord, and then he asks for mercy. By the way, this is a beautiful picture of salvation, when you kneel before the Lord and you call him Lord and you cry out for mercy, that's a picture of salvation, in our desperation over the condition of our lives and our disappointment over everything and everyone that we've turned to to fix our problem or give meaning to our lives and it has not worked has led us, therefore, into the presence of Jesus where we say, Lord, and we bow our knees and we say, have mercy on us. That's a beautiful moment. That's a great day. That's a great day. And that's why I call this the value of crisis. Now, let me just qualify this a little bit. I'd say this is a potential value of crisis because not all crisis leads us or guarantees us to come to Jesus. Have you discovered that? Have you discovered all the ways that people go and all the things they turn to in the midst of crisis that is not Jesus, substances, relationships, money, spending, you know, whatever, just fill in the blank. And people will just fill their lives with stuff in the midst of their crisis thinking that that will be the thing that will solve their problem and they choose not to come to Jesus and that's because their hearts are hardened, we're all depraved, we all do not seek after God and only in the grace and mercy of God does he sort of show us and, and give us the opportunity to see who he is that we might come to him and find the help we need. And every week we hear about people who stop by the prayer room or someone who's putting a little prayer need into the wall and they're standing there next to one of our prayer room workers and the worker might say, gee, I see you're putting a prayer request, would you like to pray with somebody? And tears begin to flow and before they know it, they're walking into a little room and they're burying their heart with somebody. And those of you that are intercessors and praying for people in the prayer room and being in that beautiful available ministry, you're discovering probably on a weekly basis the beauty of what What happens when people in their crisis come to Jesus? And that's what we need to be praying for every week. That's what we need to be praying for right in the service. That's what we need to be thinking about right now. There's somebody here that feels lonely, isolated, desperate, and disappointed, and they need Jesus, and they've looked everywhere else in their life, and here today, beautiful day, glorious day, God is revealing to them that where you really ought to be looking is Jesus. Jesus. So that's the first thing I want you to see. 14 through 16. We come to verses 17 and 18, and here's where we're going to learn a little bit about the grace of our Lord Jesus. And and what I see here in verses 17 and 18 is that grace is shown even to a culture dominated by unbelief and spiritual distortion. Unbelief. Jesus says, Oh, unbelieving. Spiritually distorted. He says, perverse generation. Perverse generation. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Wow, how would you feel if Jesus said that to you when you came to him? What is Jesus actually, is he directing it toward the man? Is he directing it toward his disciples? Is he just speaking it out because this is the reality of our lives? We are all unbelieving and perverse Probably a little bit of all of those things. Can you imagine? I mean, this is here Jesus is giving a commentary on the kind of spiritual climate he had been immersed in from the moment of his birth. Can you imagine how it would have felt for the omnipotent God to take on flesh and live among such sinful people as you and me? You know how it feels to be in a foreign country. How many of you have traveled abroad? Anybody? Just raise your hands. Okay, so most of us here have been out of the country. And you know, it's sometimes, it's exotic, you know, oh, I can't wait to go somewhere. And we go out of our comfort zones, and we travel in places, and it's different food, and different culture, and different everything. And there can be beautiful experiences in that, but there comes a point in the trip where usually you say, I'm sick of this, (laughs) and I can't wait to get home. Now, I'm not demeaning, there's beautiful cultures in the world, but there's something about home, something about the way we're just used to functioning, it's great to vacation, great to be in places, great to travel, great to see the world, but when it's different, and when it's not what we're used to, there's sort of a fed up feeling that we get, and we want to go home, and I think this is what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, he's, he's sort of basically sharing, I am fed up. With a culture that is so unbelieving and so perverse. But this was the mission that Jesus came to fulfill. And I love this. This is where grace, look at how this beautiful, this is verse 17. Bring the boy here to me. So Jesus first makes this statement of, uh, this is, I'm fed up. But then he says, this is how grace works. Bring the child here. I'm going to do something. Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed from that moment, verse 18. I mean, Jesus changes the reality of this situation to a new reality. The boy is no longer suffering under the spiritual scourge of the enemy's tactics. He's free, he's healed, he's brand new. There's a new reality. And this is what happens when we come and meet Jesus. This is what happens when we have an encounter with Jesus Christ. And this is the grace of God. And this is what Jesus is doing today. He's still doing this. He's showing up and taking someone's reality and creating a new reality. I'm discipling a guy right now who comes out of a, a kind of a rough background and, and uh, you know, uh, drugs, drinking, you know, women, you know, all that stuff. And he's, he's become a Christ follower in the last year, and this guy is so changed, the people around him are just sort of like, what? You know, like, you know, he goes over to his friend's house and they're immediately trying to put drinks in his hand, you know, and he's, he's like, nope, you know, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus, and they, they can't even believe that he's changed, he, every area of his life has changed, and it's such a beautiful thing to see. He has a new reality that he's working in, and that's because God's grace has shown up in his life. And so just ask yourself, you know, just take a little gut check here. You know, like, what is my new reality? Like, what, what has changed in my life since i become a follower of Jesus? What, what things do I see that are now so different than the way they used to be? My perspective, my attitude, my desires, the things that I'm interested in. All of that, Jesus, begins to change. And yes, it's a process. It's not overnight. There's beautiful things that happen in a person's life that come to Jesus and And that's why Paul writes to the second, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain for it says, in the time of my favor I heard you in the day of salvation I helped you, I tell you now is the time of God's favor, now is the day of salvation. And that grace begins to just work in us to make us into new people and that's why Paul writes further in Titus 2, we'll put this on the screen, Titus 2, 11 and 12. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. What does grace do? It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Isn't that good? That's what God's grace teaches us. So grace isn't an excuse to do wrong. Grace isn't like I can do my own thing. Grace is actually the empowerment to live a new life. And that's why Paul writes also in Romans 6, he says, he says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace might increase? May it never be, Paul says. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? So when God comes into our lives through his son, Jesus Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit, we now have a new power to live a new way. We have new desires, new focus. And yes, we stumble, we we fall, we get tripped up. It's not a perfect arrangement, but we are we're stumbling, we're falling forward in our lives. And we're experiencing more and more the, the beauty of what God is desiring to do in us. And this is the grace of the Lord Jesus. And while, yes, The world is a mess and it's a perverse, unbelieving generation that we're all living in. Isn't it great? And aren't you glad, beloved, that Jesus shows up into that mess and he says, come to me. Bring your stuff to me. Bring your junk to me. Bring your problems to me. And I'm going to touch your life. I'm going to make a difference in your life. And when he does, he does, he does, he does, it's a beautiful thing the value of crisis, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's one last thing here, verses 19 through 21. And that's this idea of the importance of faith. And and I'm gonna say it this way, that in 19 through 21, it's our vision of God that impacts the way we pray and what happens next. Okay, so he goes on to teach them a lesson about faith. And this is an interesting thing because it, it sounds like it's a contradiction. If you were reading along with me, here in 19-21, through he first says that they had such little faith. Did you see that? Oh, you of little faith, right? But then he says all they need is a little faith. What? Wait a minute, what's going on here? Well, there's two things going on. First, he's telling them that somehow their faith wasn't big enough, but then he's reminding them that ultimately it isn't really about how big your faith is. Hmm. I think what Jesus is pointing out here is that for some reason the disciples failed in their ministry. Watch this. Simply because their faith had become routine. Their faith had become method. Have you ever got that way in your Christian life? It just—it seems like, you know, uh, just pray these words and poof, you get what you want. Uh, the disciples may have just sort of shifted into autopilot When this man, in his moment of desperation, coming with his son, asks for help, and they say, yeah, we can do this, so we're just going to pray like we always prayed. We're just going to go through the motion. We're just going to do what we always knew to do. And there's some of us that do the same thing. We think that the key to the Christian life is showing up at three crosses on Sunday morning. We sit in the service. We take copious notes on our outlines. We fold our Bibles and we go back home. We Go back into our week and we're just sort of living sort of an automatic pilot. There's no churning over of our hearts. There's no sense of desperation for the things of God in our lives. There's no hunger or thirst. We're just sort of abiding. We're not really, we're just, we're routine believers. And by the way, sometimes routine believing is more of like ritual believing. And ritualistic believing might not be anything different from just forms of Christianity and not Christianity itself. And there are people in churches all over this community and all over our country and all over the world who are living in the form of religion but do not know the power of Jesus Christ. And if we're honest, I think there are probably be things in all of us, even as sincere, legitimate Christ followers, who we find ourselves at times sort of coasting through our Christian experience and living sort of on autopilot and feeling like we got no power And nothing's changing in our lives. You ever felt that way? I have. So easy to become routine. So easy to go through the motion. So easy to just get up and go through your day. And you know what Jesus wants in our lives? He says, look, look. look. If you you move your faith into the auto zone, uh, you're going to just miss all of what I could have for you. But if you have Even the smallest smidgen of faith, real, true, heart faith in what I can do in your life, I can do miracles in your life. I can do amazing things in your life. You don't need a lot of faith. You just need to have real faith in the right person. I know people, you know, I talk to people who are spiritual, you know, And they "Oh, I've got a lot of faith. Oh, it's great that people have faith. That's really not the point to have faith. The the point is, what's our faith in? And there are people that have faith in all kinds of crazy stuff that are never going to make any difference in their lives. There are a lot of people checking the box, checking the box. But Jesus is here talking about a, a determined faith, a faith that is real and passionate there's an element of faith in both Mark and Luke's gospel there's a little more detail given to this story all the synoptic gospels include this story and in Mark's gospel when the disciples asked Jesus how come we couldn't drive this out Jesus said because some of these can only come out through prayer talking about the demonic forces Hmm. so they tried to cast a demon but apparently they didn't even pray about it And then some of the translations, actually, some of the manuscripts say prayer and fasting, which would maybe indicate that there's more than just prayer going up, but a passionate element of of sort of, um, you know, refusing for yourself something for the sake of someone else and a need in someone else's life. When was the last time you fasted and prayed for someone? And Jesus said... Sometimes this kind of transformation only happens through fasting and prayer. And what is Jesus saying there? You have to kind of go through some really difficult crucible to prove that you are, no, Jesus is just saying just have legitimate, sincere faith and that will at times lead you to make sacrifices for others and spend time in ardent prayer. And that's the way I'm gonna work it in my plan for this person's life and in the person who's praying for them. This is the way God works. I mean, when our faith is where it should be, it begins to here's what's going on. It begins to minimize the problem that we're obsessing over. I mean, due, due to the enormity of the problems that we're facing today, here's what's going on. In some of our lives, we we look at when I ask you what your crisis is, you think, boom, I know exactly what it is because that's all I think about. And you're thinking about the crisis And when you think about God, here's the crisis. And when you think about God, it's this little bubble up there. It's just this little tiny, yeah, there's this crisis and then there's little God. And what Jesus is saying, look, when you have your faith in the right place, what happens is God gets bigger and your crisis gets smaller. It's the same thing. It's just a matter of perspective. It's why David, in 1 Samuel 17, when he heard the Philistine giant come out and taunt the armies of the living God, he looked around to all the armies of Israel that were cowering and shaking behind their their shields, and he said, who is this uncircumcised giant that they would defy the armies of the living God? I will go after this giant. And it's what caused David to run with his little sling and five stones and slew the giant. He saw the problem, but the problem was small compared to the bigness of his God. It's why Daniel, in Daniel chapter 3, could say to the king, along with his friends, O King Nebuchadnezzar, you can tell us, you know, that uh, you're going to throw us into the fire, and our God will will rescue us from the fire, but if he doesn't, we're not going to bow to your statue. We're not going to bow to who you are. Now, why could they do that? Because they actually saw their crisis smaller compared to the bigness of their God. It's the same reason why Jacob, in Genesis 32, 26, would not let the angel of the Lord go until he received his blessing. It's the kind of faith that says, I, I can't go anywhere until God works in my life. And some of us this morning, this is where it needs to begin for us. Listen. Worship is a picture of us acknowledging that God is bigger than our problems. You know, people that are really released to worship, when you come in here or wherever you are, when you worship God in song, when you extol his character, when you say, God, you are great, when you can actually do that, that's a picture of minimizing the crisis of your life and recognizing the glory of God. And that's when prayers are prayed in faith. And how much faith do you really need? Not that much. Jesus said just a little mustard seed will do. Our God is such a great God. And our Lord Jesus today is here. You know, now this whole text, it it concludes kind of interesting. Um, It's this this mountain-moving prayer. Jesus said, this is an idiom. You know, he, Jesus wasn't saying, if you pray earnestly, you take Mount Diablo and you can dump it into the bay. That's not what he's really saying. He's using a common idiom. Mountain-moving, uh, to move a mountain was to say uh, that this issue, this thing that I'm struggling with can be reduced and shaped into a different form. It's not gonna be a stumbling block in my life. And Jesus said, when you have that kind of faith, it doesn't extinguish your problems, but it diminishes them to see the glory of God in your life. Now, I like how Matthew's narrative ends because there's not a lot of closure here for his disciples. We don't hear that they get it. We don't hear that they say, oh, yes, thank you. It just ends. And I think the gospel writers do this because it maybe sort of leaves the whole story with sort of how, what your response is going to be. Like, how are you going to respond to this? The crisis that you're in today, the issues that you're facing today, what are you going to do? How are you going to respond? And then in this next little caption, verse 22, now we have a new opening. They come to Galilee and he says to them, remember the whole theme of this section in Matthew is the sufferings that are coming to Christ. And once again, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed in the hands of men. They will kill him and on the third day he'll be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. I'm... You know, he said, I'll rise, but they didn't even hear that. They were still just troubled that he was leaving them. I see myself as just like these disciples. I'm so often um, missing the opportunity because I'm just in my routine. I'm so often um, not hearing what Jesus is really saying. I'm going to suffer, but I'm going to rise. Oh, Lord, no, you're going to suffer? I don't hear that he's going to rise. I so often live prior to the resurrection of Christ. I live under the sufferings of Christ and not the glories of his resurrection and the freedom that comes in knowing him. How about you? Oh, you of little faith. Today is an opportunity for all of us to say, thank you, Lord, that we reset. We have a new reality. We can take our, and look at our crisis and we can see it for what it is. Yes, something that needs to be dealt with, but it's going to, it's going to bring us into the presence of Jesus. That's a great day. Where we experience the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's a beautiful thing. And then we learn the importance of faith. That we don't need that much. Just a little. But in a great and awesome God. Amen? Amen. Let's, let's pray.